Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there, and welcome back to Up My Hockey for episode 17, and today... If you are new to the program, we have a very special guest on by the name of Ken Holland. And if you are listening to this program, you know that Ken Holland needs absolutely no introduction, but I will do my best to do so. Uh, Ken is the second longest tenured GM in the NHL right now. Uh, David Poyle, the National Predators, was hired, I believe, seven days before him uh, back in 1997 making uh, Mr. Poyle and Mr. Holland um, in the driver's seat as the GM of, of, uh, of an organization for the past 23 years. Uh, Ken is regarded by many to be potentially one of the greatest GMs of all time uh, with his four Stanley Cups with the Detroit Red Wings and also two other Stanley Cup Finals appearances where they didn't come away with the hardware. Um, Ken was uh, was steering the boat of the Detroit Red Wings machine there throughout the 90s and early 2000s uh, when they were dominant and having 100-point season after 100-point season. He was part of drafting the likes of uh, Datsuk and Zetterberg and, and bringing Lister in and, and having Osgood there and, and a lot of these these players that were identified in later rounds that turned out to be absolutely superstar players at the NHL level. Um, he is now obviously the GM of the Edmonton Oilers and has made some great moves uh, within that franchise and they're sitting in a position to uh, be in the Stanley Cup playoffs if they were to start today. And uh, and it's going to be exciting to see what is happening there for the Edmonton Oilers in the future with Ken and his new coach Dave Tippett at the helm. So today we talk about mostly player development because that's what this show is about, how to become a pro, what it takes to be a pro, how how they go about it in Edmonton and Ken's philosophy for the draft and player development, uh, what it's like to be in the minors and, and the call-ups and, and all of that kind of stuff. So he was kind enough to spend over an hour here with us today and that's just a testament to Ken and his character and how approachable he is uh, and how willing he is to offer up value uh, from his experiences and, and from his, you know, f- from his long time involved in hockey, one as a player and then also uh, in the in the front office. So um, without further ado, I am very, very happy to bring you my interview with Ken Holland. All right. Well, welcome to Up My Hockey, Mr. Ken Holland. I really appreciate being here today. Nice to be with you, Jason. Awesome, awesome. Had a few issues there getting on, but um, in this whole COVID nineteen, we have to do more. Figure out how to do more things over over computer, don't we? Yeah, I'm getting more tech savvy by the by the week. <laughs> <laughs> I know, kidding. Which actually is an interesting place to start. I mean, I think we'd be I'd be doing this uh, this episode a disservice if I didn't touch on it. I mean, COVID nineteen is is. Uh, I mean, man, it's affecting everything, you know, uh, let alone the, the league. How, how do you see this thing uh, panning out here? Do you, do you see the, the, the season being finished at some point? 
Well, I think that's, I mean, obviously that's the hope from everybody that's involved. Uh, you know, you want to, we want to try to keep our business going or get it back up and running after the pause and, and the, de de declare a Stanley cup champion. Um, obviously with, uh, with uh, government officials and health officials uh, signing off. So, uh, um, you know, that's, that's the hope, certainly and being a general manager, um, you know, playing 70, we played 71 games over 82 game schedule. You know, everybody was, we were in a position where we were uh, at big games down the, the stretch in the regular season to try to qualify for the playoffs. And we certainly would like to see uh, what we're able to accomplish in the 1920 season. Um, can we play our way into the playoffs and what kind of noise can we make once we get in? So hopefully they find a solution that we, uh, that we get back up and running. I see that baseball is, uh, you know, following on TSN, you're following these other sports and certainly there's lots of, uh, lots of talk about the possibility of maybe baseball coming back. And you know, obviously there's the NHL and the NBA. So uh, hopefully there's a solution that we get to finish the season. Do you think that there has to be a conclusion to the season, like in order to do it fairly and, and get people into the playoffs? Or, or is there, could there be just an arbitrary decision by somebody at the top saying, well, no, this is the way we're doing it? Well, I think ultimately it's, you know, um, you know, it's going to be obviously Gary Batman and Bill Daly, you know, obviously with the blessing of the Board of Governors working with uh, Don Fear, Matthew Schneider and the Players Association. And they put together a, um, I think a five or six player committee, the resumption of play uh, uh, committee. Connor McDavid, an Oiler player, is on that committee, and obviously they're they're working together to uh, to find a, um, along with health officials, along with government officials, to find uh, a solution that works for, uh, works for everybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, you guys are comfortable. Well, I shouldn't say comfortably. I mean, every point's so hard to get in the NHL, but I mean, you had four points on, uh, on Calgary, uh, when this thing was, was done and, and, you know, all these teams are making a noise, right. Or trying to get in, like you say. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of disheartening for a team like the Rangers. I mean, there's a lot of teams there that were really coming on late and then they're out of the playoff picture right now. And if they were to say, Oh, well, we're going to start with who we got. I mean, that's kind of unfortunate too, but I mean, the whole thing is unfortunate. So I guess no, no matter what it is, there's no, probably no perfect scenario at this point. Um, moving on in, within that context, like what, how does this impact the draft in, in your opinion? And, and what, yeah, what, what, how does that all fall out? Well, we're, when, when, when we'll be ready whenever the draft is going to be, you know, obviously there's, 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 there's talk of an early June draft and, uh, and if not an early June draft, then uh, I'm not sure when the draft is going to take place, but uh, you know, Tyler Wright's our chief scout, uh, chief head of, head of amateur scouting. Last week he had some um, zoom calls, uh, conference uh, meetings with his staff. I know that there's more planned for this week. Um, as we get into uh, further into May, I know that uh, Tyler and his scouts are going to do some Zoom calls with uh, with prospects uh, with no combine this year. Um, that's how all the NHL teams will do the interview process uh, um, through through um, computers. So, uh, but when 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 the draft is coming, uh, we'll be we'll be I expect that we will be ready to go as as ready as we can be. Given, you know, certainly there was. You know, the, the world under 18, which was supposed to be this year in Plymouth, uh, it's always mid to late uh, April. This year was supposed to be in, in Plymouth, Michigan, um, is, is an important scouting tool for, for everybody. But where everybody's on a level playing field, uh, um, we had our scouts out and about all year and we're, we've gathered our information and now we'll go about the, the process of, 
of uh, putting our final list together at the, and be ready for the draft. We will be ready to go whenever the draft is. Right. Now you mentioned it. I mean, it is the same playing field for everyone. You mean, if it's, it's not the, it's not the normal scenario, you didn't get a chance to get that second or third look at, at these guys that you might've wanted to, but I guess it's the same for everybody. Um, this is your second draft with Edmonton, correct? Cause you were hired before the draft last year. Yes. Um, was Tyler already a part of the, of the team at that point? No, Tyler, uh, you know, I'd hired Tyler in Detroit, I'm not, you know, seven, eight years ago. Tyler uh, finished out, he was the chief scout and ran the draft for the Detroit Red Wings at last year's uh, draft. And then uh, shortly after the draft, uh, Tyler met with Steve Eiserman and they, uh, they both agreed to, uh, to go in separate directions. Steve wanted to put his own staff together and he's hired Chris Draper as, as his chief scout in uh, in Detroit and Tyler and I obviously have a relationship uh, working together in Detroit and uh, I brought Tyler on board. Kept most of the scouts uh, in Edmonton. Uh, Bob Green was the chief scout in Edmonton for last year's draft. Bob uh, basically is now the number two man. Tyler's come in and is going to run the amateur draft and Bob Green's going to be his right hand man. Awesome. How does that work now? So I mean you like you said you kept on most of the scouts with with do you bring in your own philosophy then into, into Edmonton? I mean, along with Tyler, obviously you guys worked together for a while about your approach to the draft or uh, is there an, a, a philosophy, uh, a philosophy to the draft for you? Yeah, I think there's a philosophy, you know, to pretty well everything running a, an NHL team and, you know, within that philosophy, you got to be able to go in a lot of different directions because the, 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 we're dealing with, with people and, uh, some things you do work and some things don't work as the way you'd like it, like it to do. But certainly when it comes to the draft, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I, I brought Tyler right in to run the director of amateur scouting for the, uh, for the Oilers. I'd worked with him in Detroit and I brought in Archie Henderson to be the director of pro scouting for the Edmonton Oilers. I'd worked with, with Archie in, uh, in, in Detroit as well. So, you know, they, they understand um, the way I think my philosophy in running a hockey team and, um, you know, we've got relationships that have built up over time. And certainly there's, there's lots of really good hockey people here in Edmonton. I just have to build relationships with them. And um, relationships take time. So that's why it's important for me to bring in some people that, that, that I've had those relationships, but know how I think, I know how they think, and what we're trying to build, um, and how we see a team, you know, the building of a, of, of a team. Um, so certainly philosophy is is a big part of running an NHL. In your mind, is it always the best player available um, when you're looking at the draft, meaning like just the, the highest, the, you know, the, the highest ceiling that you see there? Are you, are you actively trying to look three, three four years down the road and, and see a spot that maybe you're trying to fill or, or a depth position that you, that you need more help with? Well, I think it's the, it's the player with the highest ceiling, but I also think, you know, you know, in Edmonton, for example, um, you know, last year we took, Philip Broberg, um, pick pick six, pick seven, I think, or eight. We had the eighth pick in the draft. Eight, yeah. The year before, they had the tenth pick in the draft. We took Evan Bouchard, and you know, if you look at the defense in Edmonton, for the most part, it's relatively young. You know, Clefbaum's is mid twenties, Nurse mid twenties, um, Larson's upper upper twenties, and Ethan Bear's twenty two. So certainly, defense um, is 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 I would say the strength of the Edmonton Oilers organization. So. You know, you're going to rank your players. Um, I think ideally we'd like to probably draft a forward um, uh, and not a defenseman. But 
if you get to the, if somebody, if there's a defenseman there that we rate really highly and he, uh, he slips and he's, he's there when we pick right now based upon percentages, points and everything, we got the 20th pick in the draft. Um, we'll pick a defenseman. And, and then if, if, if you can develop and it will work. And then from a player development standpoint, if you can develop all these players into NHL players, certainly there's also an opportunity down the road for everybody's look, always looking for, for a defenseman. So you know, I think for the most part, you take um, best player available, but past decisions that you've made have to weigh in a little bit, a little right. bit. So you can't just load up on constant left wingers. You can't just keep drafting left wingers. You got to get, you know, it's, you need centermen and right wingers and defensemen and goaltenders. So, so some of your past decisions weigh in a little bit, a little bit for the, but for the most part, you're going to draft the player that you think has got the highest ceiling. Awesome. Um, just for the people listening, and, and I guess even for myself, I don't know exactly, uh, you're, you're the GM. I mean, you're, you have your say in, in, in everything that goes on there. How, how much do you actually watch these prospects prior to getting picked? And, and, and do you, are you the one that says in the fifth round, yeah, we want this guy? Or is that left to that relationship that you're talking about with these people that you've built this with? And, and that's kind of Tyler's call at that point. The later rounds for sure are your area, your, your scouts. And, and, and for the most part, your area scouts. I, I would say to you that probably the first pick for most organizations is the chief scout and the general manager. And, and it may be, you know, two or three, whoever, one or two director of player personnel, but it's, it's a small group of people after gathering all the information from your scouts. And then as you get into the second round, it starts to expand, you know, you're and, and as you start to get in the fourth and fifth and, and deeper in the draft, that's when you're really counting on your area people because your chief scout is probably concentrating on the top three rounds. Uh, you know, in terms of player, but as he's, as he's going about the business of watching all those players, he's seeing other players that are, that are on the board, but he's seeing them once or twice. So you're really counting on an area person at some point in time in the draft to really push hard to draft somebody. Um, and, 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 and you hopefully obviously that, that later on pick the, the six, one of the successes to building a good team through the draft is finding players deeper in the draft. I mean, the focus always is on the high players, um, or the high picks, you know, whether it's the media or the, or the, 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 the team, but certainly, you know, I think back to my reflect back on my days in Detroit. Um, you know, I was in Detroit for 36 years and 22 as a general manager and you, you think Pavel Datsuk in the sixth round and Zetterberg in the seventh round or vice versa. The reality is those two players were top five picks. If they go back in the draft, they're top five picks. So the Detroit Red Wings got two players in the, that were top five, top 10 picks for sure um, in the sixth round and the seventh round. So when you're drafting and you're trying to predict the future of 18-year-old players, um, it's not an exact science. It's not an exact science. Some people, some some young uh, players, they grow big and they fill out earlier. Other people are small and they have a growth surge when they're 18 and 19, 17, 18 and 19. Um, you know, you, you, we, we do all our interviews and try to find out what's what's inside that athlete in terms of motivation. And, and um, you do the best that you can, but... Um, but they're young people. I, I, I was a parent. My wife and I had four kids, um, two boys and two girls, and they're, they're all between uh, 30 and 38 now. And they were in our basement. And you're never 100% sure how they're going to hang out, how they're going to turn out, because they're, they, they've also got the, they're, they're, 
peer group that they're hanging out with. And those people are important uh, in their lives. And um, as a scout, you're sitting up in row 36 in Moose Jaw and Chikudami and in Sweden and Russia and in, in Medicine Hat. And, 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 and then through, uh, through an interview process, we're trying to predict uh, um, the future. So certainly the number one thing is skill. The number one thing we're looking for is skill. But, but just as important as determination and drive and passion, those things that push an individual um, as, they, as they start to meet barriers um, or hurdles um, in whatever industry they take, they, they, they decide. Certainly those are, those are key ingredients in, in, in the player development side. So we're drafting skill, we're drafting potential, we're drafting ceiling. But, but once you get those players, certainly an important part is player development and, and, and the internal, what's, what's driving, what's the motivation. Um, get up early in the morning, go to the gym, make sacrifices, personal sacrifices. Those are all, all important ingredients in, in, uh, in, in fulfilling um, potential. Yeah, no, 100%. I couldn't agree more, and I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to ask you, it seems like there's more and more science around the mindset of the athlete. And, uh, you know, like you said, skill is one thing, but what drives them is completely another. And I was wondering how you guys go about one, trying to identify that is, is that a questionnaire scenario? Is that a interaction with the, with the player? Is it a talk with the coach or like how deep do you guys go? Maybe, especially with those first cup, you know, those first few round selections that are so pivotal to, to an organization. It's harder. It's harder. Certainly, that's where I get back to Jason. Deeper in the draft, that's the, the you know. So if you're drafting somebody in Western Canada, whether it's Tier Two or Major Junior, and you're in the sixth and seventh rounds, you're really counting on your area people to talk to. They built relate as a, as a scout. They, the scouts have built relationships with coaches, and not only the coach of that team, but other coaches and 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 um, you know minor hockey people that have known those young players. Uh, growing up and they they'll take um all teams will take out these young players uh, you know for, for for something to eat to bite to eat an interview process over the course of the season then you have the nhl excuse me combine and, and um, they fill out questionnaires and we try to do you know we do as much research we can on uh, on the background of the player um and again you, you you gather as much information as you can, and then and then you 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 rank them. You make your decisions, and that's where I also believe, um, you know. And I I, I I think thirty other teams believe the same thing: the importance of player development. You know, once you, we make a decision and we select somebody, then we as an organization need to do everything we can to give them guidance, education. Um, to to help them, you know, how to eat, why, you know, what to eat, um, nutrition, you know, a, a nutrition person, a strength person, uh, you know, all, whatever they need to try to help them um, get better. Yeah, I mean, it's it, to me, it seems more pivotal, more pivotal than ever in today's game that you need to develop your prospects just because of the way the salary cap system works. And if, if you can't have somebody that you've drafted come up and fill those spots on an entry level deal, you're in trouble, right? Whereas in years past, you could go to the free agent market and just sign away. But so that to me, that development seems critical. And then you had a couple this year in my opinion that, you know, like a fifth rounder with Ethan Bear that I saw play at the beginning of the year. And I was like, wow, this guy's, this guy's pretty special actually I thought he was doing really well and then you had like a Yamamoto come up again to fill a spot and play big minutes you know without those guys um, Edmonton might look a little different this year do you, do you agree with that oh totally agree with it I think you've, you've nailed it uh, 
right on is, is certainly um, the teams that are good uh, over, over a period of time, they draft, they draft and they develop. You need lots of homegrown players um, that turn out to be, you know, top nine forwards, top five defensemen and number, number one goalies. Cause you can't just go out on the open market and when they're in a, in a cap world and sign all those players and number two, those players, many of those players, they're not on the open market. Those teams that draft those players, sign them up to long-term deals and keep them because we all understand how important those players those, those, those to, are to the long-term success of your team. So, and then it's not only drafting players that, as you said, are going to, you know, push through the system um, and then end up to be um, important pieces on your team. But along the way, they play on your team cheap. They're on entry-level contracts, or 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 maybe they use their entry-level contract to spend their time in the American League, and then they spend a couple of years on a on a, on a second deal that's relatively cheap as they are uh, along the, the 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 process to becoming, uh, you know, like I said, top nine forwards and top five defensemen. So, uh, you know, you can't carry twenty players that are making within an eighty million dollar salary cap. You can't have twenty players that make four to four to eight million dollars. It's you're going to be you're going to be way over. So you, you probably, if you look half the team, you know, about 10 players thereabouts can make a, um, you know, 65, 70% of the cap. And then the other, the other 10, 11, 12 players have to make uh, one third of the cap. So, uh, in, and in that portion, you talked about, you know, certainly Ethan Bear on an entry level contract, Yamamoto on an entry level contract. Um, Caleb Jones came up this year and, and, and did a good job. And in, in, in February, Clefbaum went down for nine or 10 games and, and Caleb Jones stepped in on defense and played 20 minutes a night until uh, till Clef came back. And uh, those those three young players uh, really played an important part of of of, uh, of giving us depth and giving us uh, um, good players and also hope that uh, how good can they be can they be down the road. So uh, certainly the draft and developing is critical to uh, to being a successful franchise. You mentioned um, looking for skill, and, and I'm not saying that some of these old school guys that I'm going to classify as like a Cassian is, is it doesn't have skill, but it seems to me just watching the game that they're starting to be a little bit more of an equilibrium back with seeing the benefit of, of physicality and a little bit of tenacity and some toughness, uh, whereas I didn't see that, say, two, three, four years ago. It, it seemed a little bit softer. Uh, to me, like a guy like Zach Cassian who can play the game, um, and who offers that element of grit and a little bit of fear for the other team. I, th I think those guys are going to become really valuable again, if they're not already considered super valuable. Um, do you now start to identify that in the draft as somebody that could, could fill that, that role as well, which maybe their skill level, like I said, isn't quite as high, but maybe they bring that different element. I think you're absolutely right on. I think that there's been such a focus on skill and I, and not only at the NHL level, I think, but at minor hockey and, and player development and, you know, one-on-one -on -one and, and, and skill camps and skill development that uh, certainly I think what you're talking about is the element of, of grit. Those, those, uh, those battles that need to be won in the hard areas, what we call the hard areas in front of the net, you know, whether you're defending or you're trying to get a position as a, as a, as a forward to get to get that to get that rebound or screen the goalie those those puck battles in the corner um, those puck battles on the wall to keep the puck in or to get the puck out 
Oh, you know, that's, it's analytics. You know, if you, if you can, if you win more puck battles, you're going to win um, over the course of 80, over the course of a, of a game. And then over the course of 82 games are going to be part of the um, process of having a successful team. And that's uh, so certainly you need, there's, you need skill, but I think what you're talking, when you, in order to build a team, you need lots of different elements. Certainly you need, you need skill, but you also need, um, you know, pe people that can check and block shots and win draws and, and penalty kill and, 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 and find a way to, ch you know, check and, and, uh, and checking just doesn't mean flipping the puck in. I think it's the ability to puck possession and make it difficult for the other team's skill players um, to get the puck, but they've got to spend energy to get the puck off you. But certainly uh, a guy like Zach Cassian is, and we just uh, signed him to a four-year contract extension. Uh, I think it was about November or December. And uh, he brings those elements you talk about. He's, uh, he gives our team a physical presence. Um, uh, he's got skill. You know, he's on pace for scoring about you know, 15 goals. Um, he's, and, he, and, and, and I think those type of players, as you get into playoff series, they become even more valuable. You know, over, over, you, know you start to get into a seven-game series and you start to play the same team every night, every second night for two weeks. And it builds up a little animosity and, and certainly uh, um, a part of being a successful, uh, successful team is, is, uh, is, is, is um, being a hard team to play against. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that would be a little bit of a, a teeter-totter act, I would imagine, as a general manager to you have a team that is going to be successful in the regular season and successful enough to get you to the dance um, where the regular season, we all know, we all watch the same games. It's not as physical as it is in the playoffs. You know what I mean, it's, it's not as hard to play. And then all of a sudden you get in the playoffs and if you're, you know, if you're too small, if you're too skilled, if you're too light, you're probably, you're probably not sticking around very long. But if, man, if you have too many Zach Cassians during the regular season, you're probably not making the playoffs. So I, I imagine that's a pretty delicate balance to try and find. Well, that's, you know, that's team building. That's trying to figure out exactly, um, you know, what you, you know, the makeup. And, and, and even within a line, you know, obviously you need some people that are going to go to the corner and win puck battles, you know, and, often, and then you need, you know, the, the playmaking and then you need the, 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 the scores. Hang on, Jason, one sec. No worries. My dog, my dog wanted out. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's the team building. Obviously, you need a lot of, you know, the, to your point, the regular season is, is played a certain style and it's probably, it's a little bit of a different style uh, come playoff time. And I think, you know, you, you, need, you need to have different types of uh, ingredients on a, on a team. The team that wins the Stanley Cup, the team that can, can, can make the playoffs, over 82 games and be in the top 16 teams and you're, you know, in the top half, there's 31 teams and a year from now, there'll be 32 with Seattle. So over 82 games, half the, half the league um, doesn't qualify, but to, 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 and then, and then you get into four best of seven series and now it's two months of, of every second night going head to head against the team for, for two weeks and another two weeks, that team that wins the Stanley cup, probably has all those ingredients. They've got, they've got some skill, they've got some depth, they've got, they've got some tough, they've got toughness. Um, 
they've got they've got goaltending. They've got uh, you know they've got the defenseman that can play run a power play. The defenseman that can kill penalties. Because as as you start to go over eighty two games, you separate, and then you and then you go from sixteen to eight to four to two teams, and then the the, the one team wins the Stanley Cup uh, in, uh, final. They've got they're the team that has. Um, They've, they've been tested over the course of eight, nine months, and they're the last team standing. They, they've answered the most uh, questions in that in an NHL uh, uh, test over the course of, uh, yeah. of a six-month, uh, six, six-and-a-half-month regular season and a two-month playoff. Yeah, it's a grind, and you'd know better than anybody else with, uh, with your history there. Um, when you consider player development, I just remember back when, when I was playing, which is now, geez, 15 years ago, you know, or probably 20 years ago, last time I was in an NHL organization. And player development has definitely changed in the perspective on, on the players and the minors. And now there's people dedicated, like you said, there's so many more resources there. And I think it, you know, it's, as we already talked about, it's a necessity. I mean, we have to have those, those, uh, those developmental aspects to the game. Who, who do you, who do you have now as director of player development? And, and a lot of teams, and I believe you're one of them that's bringing in some players that used to play that, to help these guys kind of transition into becoming pros. Well, our director of player development was Scott Housen. I mean, we just lost him here in the last uh, couple of months to, to become the president of the American hockey league. So uh, uh, Scott played the game. He, uh, you know, played professional hockey, went, you know, he became a lawyer, became um, an NHL general manager in Columbus. He's been an NHL uh, assistant general manager in the last uh, few years. He's been the director of player development and overseeing the development of the prospects in, uh, in Edmonton. So he's a huge loss and uh, he's going to be, uh, it's a huge hole to fill. Uh, obviously at the same time, I think he accepted the job in about mid mid to late February, and he took the job on May 1st. Well, shortly, within a month, uh, obviously, there was an NHL pause due to the pandemic, so I haven't filled the uh, filled the hole right now. Obviously, uh, it's not a time really to be going out and um, um, signing, you know, signing people. Got to see where we got to get the game back up and running. So uh, we'll do it internally for a while here. Um, that's one of the things I want to talk to. I got my assistant general manager, Keith Gretzky, and I will probably uh, handle, but certainly, um, you know, you, most NHL teams now have for sure one and some two and three uh, people on staff that are, uh, you know, directors of player development. We, you know, you've, you got to communicate with those players all year. Every NHL team has a, um, a summer under the CBA. You get one week in the summer where you get development camp. It's, it's usually, it's, it's always after the draft, late June or early July. Once the draft is over, you'll bring in the, those, those players that you drafted from that draft and maybe the last couple of drafts. You'll have a camp. You'll educate them on, uh, on, on, on nutrition, on strength, uh, get to see your facilities, um, on, on, on ice practice, meet your coaching staff. Um, you know, then we, we have other little things for them to, uh, team building and, and other things to them, you know, how to deal with, uh, deal with the media and things that are, as you're, as you're going from college, junior and European hockey, eventually over the next couple of years to, uh, to professional hockey. So, uh, stepping stone for them to understanding what pro hockey is all about. So I do need to, uh, uh, replace, uh, Scott Housen and, uh, will do once we get, we get back up and running. You mentioned that um, that you're staying in contact with your players uh, from a you know from the prospect side, and I'm sure now from an NHL side. Like, what 
what are those conversations like right now and what is the expectations for for guys whether they're oilers presently or whether they're bakersfield condors presently or whether they're just junior guys that you want to make sure are taking care of some business well keith gretzky talked to all the all the bakersfield condors there obviously the american league just announced that their season was is uh, um, being canceled uh, they just announced it a couple of days ago uh, i know that uh, keith as the general manager of bakersfield he had his uh, exit meetings uh, uh over the computer with uh, with all our players uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, and, and what you know in, in exit meetings, you uh, you know, veteran players, you try to use it as an opportunity to kind of get a veteran player's perspective as to what 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 the organization is doing good and what you can do better, and then with younger players, it's uh, an opportunity to to you know the off season for young players is is a critical time in their player development because. You know, there's no practices. You know, you, they've got, most, for the most part, uh, June, July, and August. There's three months there where they can hit the gym on an everyday basis, be in a group, uh, abs- work with a strength coach, and, and, get, and get, physically, uh, get physically stronger, more power in their legs or, or f- stronger upper, upper body so that when you uh, get into those one-on-one battles, you can, uh, you, can, you can win more of those physical battles. So, uh, um, and, then, and then, you know, obviously at the NHL level, I, uh, we're, we're still hoping to get back here and uh, running at some point in time. With our young players, uh, Scott Housen had been in contact with them on a regular basis. He just left us on May the 1st, and I know over the last couple of weeks of April, he talked to all our players. So here in the next uh, week or so, I need to reach out to, to uh, all the players and, and uh, have a, co- a conversation with them because obviously right now there's, there's, there's nobody in Edmonton that, that – they had built those young players have built a relationship relationship up with Scott House, and so uh, uh, while we don't have somebody in place, uh, it'll it'll be up to Keith Gretzky and myself to stay in contact with them. Oh, one of the things that I've talked about on this podcast before, but was my experience in Detroit uh, when I came to camp uh, the one year there. I don't even know if you remember, but it, I was invited to camp there at the end, kind of my career. I wanted another shot, and I had an experience with Babcock and Junior, and I obviously knew you a little bit personally, and. And my experience there at Red Wings camp was was amazing because it was the, it was the fifth team that I'd been to camp with at that point, and and it was it felt like none other that I'd been a part of to that to that point, and and it really started with with what I felt was the players. I mean, guys like Chris Chelios and Lidstrom and Hasek at the time was there, and Holmstrom, and these guys just made you feel really included, um, like you were a part of things and part of the system, and. And I think that was a testament to the success you guys had there in Detroit. Do you go, I mean, obviously you're trying to consciously make that happen, have that culture there that these young guys step in and feel like they belong and, 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 and what have you. But uh, it seemed to me like it was a people thing. Like how do you develop your people to become better players? And that's the way it felt to me when I was there in Detroit. Well, I think you've hit it, hit it right on. I mean, you've talked about the word culture, and I think culture is people. You know, it's not something you go to a store and buy, or you know, it's culture is, is is the people. It's the it's it's the people, and you know, on the ice, you're you're, you're you know, people that wear the letters, the the the, the players that that that, that uh, play uh, play the most, play in the most important situations, and certainly their commitment to the team, their their commitment to their teammates. Um, to the organization, to, 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 to the team. And I think that, you know, I think back to um, the early 90s and uh, when um, Scotty Bowman came to Detroit. And we had, 
talent. We had lots of talent, but we, we were trying to figure out a way to, to turn that regular season success into playoff success. And Jim Devolano at the time uh, went out and had a relationship with Scotty Bowman and brought Scotty in and he became the, 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 the coach. And then Scotty demanded that, that our best players um, sacrifice, you know, sacrifice points, sacrifice ice time, play a little less ice time, chip the pick puck out, chip the puck in, do the things that, that need to, to do and, and certainly Steve Eisenman was one of the players, you know, there was a time in the late eighties, early nineties, the three best offensive players in the game were, you know, was Gretzky, Lemieux, and I think Steve had 155 and 160 points a couple of years. And then, and then uh, Steve made a decision in the early nineties that he was going to um, make all those sacrifices. And when you, as a player, see your captain and one of your, one of your leaders make those Make, make a decision to play the game a little bit differently um, and, and shorten your shifts, chip the puck in, chip the puck out, get less points, but ultimately all the things that help your team win, that starts to set the culture. So I would say to you, Scotty Bowman, and you know, Jim Devilano came to Detroit in 19, when the Illichers bought the team in 1982 or 83 as the general manager. And, and I, remember I became a scout with the Red Wings in the 85-86 season. We had the number one pick in the draft who took, uh, took Joe Murphy. But for, for a period of time, which, which you're trying to get talent. You know, you, we didn't have enough talent. So, so you're just working on trying to get talent. And, and, and then and there's stages of building an organization. You've got to get talent. And after you get talent, you've got to try to – you know, and you want to win regular season games. And then you, you, you're trying to find – put the pieces together and all those disappointments and trial and error lead to decisions uh, uh, through the hockey club. And I, and I would say to you, so through the late eighties and early nineties, we were getting talent. And then by, by the, you know, 93, 94, there was an Eisenman and a Fedorov and a, and a Konstantinov and a Lidstrom in the organization. And, and then Scotty made some trades to bring in Brendan Shanahan and do some other things but certainly Scotty Bowman, Steve Eisenman, and the, and, and, the, and the top players, we had many playoff disappointments, losing in the first round to Toronto in game seven to an overtime goal by Nikolai Sporshevsky and, and losing, getting upset by San Jose Sharks, who had finished 36 points behind us or 30 points plus in the regular season. And all those disappointments were motivation for all of us to try to figure out ways to be different to be to be better. So when you came in to training camp there in the early 2000s and Dominic Kasich, we acquired Dominic Kasich in 2001. We won the cup in 97, 98. We were we had now started to figure out how to how to win, how to how to win in the regular season, and how to how to win in the playoffs. And what you talked about is the cult, and then and then and then. It's the Eisermans and the and the Lidstroms and the Shanahans and the Larianovs, those veteran, the Hashiks. You know, Hashiks became a partner with Chris Osgood. And Chris Osgood uh, on the ice every day with Dominic Kasich and Igor Larianov sitting on the bus with Pavel Datsuk when Igor's 40 years old and Pavel's 22. And 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 and, and when we, we had drafted Henrik Zetterberg and we brought him over he played in Europe that year. We brought him over to the playoffs to watch the Colorado Detroit playoff series. I think the first two or three games. And then I met with uh, Henrik and he told me his, 
his favorite player was Steve Eiserman. And then a year later, Zetterberg is on a team with Steve Eiserman, who's, who's near the two years later, three years later, Steve retires, but it was the passing of the torch. So, so the Hasseks and the, you know, the, the, you know, the Lidstrom's and the Chelioses, they, they, they passed the torch on to the Cronwells and the, the Zetterbergs and the Hoodlers and the Philpolas and the Datsuks and the, the Fransons. And, uh, you know, we were able to keep it going for probably, you know, we had a generation of players and they retired, but they passed it on to another generation, Zetterberg, Datsuk, Cronwell. But ultimately, uh, Detroit now is in a rebuild mode and uh, you, you can only go so long. The, the system is, is designed for, 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 for parity. So, uh, but you were talking about a time in Detroit's history when, uh, you know, we had a lot of great super, super star players that were in the prime of their careers. And, uh, they, they, they realized that, that, you know, Brad Hall came to Detroit when he was, I don't know, 35 years old or something. And uh, it was an opportunity to play with other good players to try to ultimately do what every athlete wants to do in the NHL is, is be part of the Stanley Cup championship team. There's, 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 there's no better feeling than uh, being, being part of a team that has won the Stanley Cup. Just want to take a short break to say thank you for listening and also to make a request that you guys share or like or review the episode. That is the one way you can support me and what we're trying to do here at Up My Hockey is by sharing the grassroots level of what it's like to become a player, uh, to earn a professional contract you know, to do what it takes to be the best player that you can be. And, and by having conversations with some really great people within the industry, like Mr. Holland, uh, that hopefully you guys are gaining value from their experience and from the questions that I'm asking. So take the time right now, press pause and, and see if you can review or see if you can like or share the episode. Uh, please, that's the best way to grow this. And, uh, and I appreciate all you who are listening. Thank you. No, a hundred percent. And when, what keeps ringing to me as you're, as you're speaking there is like the idea, I mean, even what you said at the end, everybody wants to win, right? I mean, especially at the professional level, but are you prepared to do what it takes to win? And, you know, you mentioned about skill and you want talent, but like talent without character is a completely different scenario. And to find that, that fusion, right, of the guys that are really good and they're also really good people who are prepared to make those decisions that you mentioned, like the Steve Eiserman made, um, you mean, he grew into that, it sounds like, you know, he grew into that leadership aspect of what it takes to, to be a winner because not everybody does pass the torch. You know I mean, and we've been in, in I've been in organizations where the, the best players were aloof and you could barely even see them or talk to them, right? They had no interest in developing some 21 year old kid, right? But it seems like the organizations that are good have those types of people. I know Boston has done that too with, with Char and, and Bergeron and these guys that they, will, they actually almost get assigned a player that they're supposed to look after and take care of. And that inclusivity, I think, is uh, – well, I don't think. I mean, I know. I mean, it, ha it has to help. But that is something that is – you can't really mandate that as a general manager. You're supposed to do this, right? But you can – you know, you can help it to push it along. I mean, I think that's obviously what's something that maybe Dave must be looking at doing. I mean, Dave Tippett is uh, part of one of the reasons why you signed him. But is, is that kind of like that, that personal development that is so critical, is it not? Well, totally. And I, I think as you're talking, you know, also part of it is is we all need experiences. And, and some, you know, um, you need adversity. 
you know, whatever industry you go in, it's just not smooth sailing. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's choppy waters and, and it's, it's how you handle those choppy waters. And, and sometimes, you know, I think about, you know, when, when Detroit won the cup in 97 and hadn't won the cup for 42 years. And I think about all the, the playoff, all the disappointments that we had had. Sometimes those disappointments are part of the are, are, are part of the of the of the of the of the evolution of your team and the evolution of an individual player and those disappointments um, when you got to live them they're no fun but when you look back you needed some of those disappointments to maybe adjust the way you we played the game or adjust the way we we coached the game or we were or, or adjusted the way it was the manager we had to make a couple of tweaks and, and and move a couple of people in and a couple of people out and change or or have the patience to let some of these young players go through those those uh, the trial and error to 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 live that that um that adversity and and, and understand that you're going to come out the other side and and it's going to make you stronger um so that's you know, and then, and it certainly, as you go to Dave Tippett, certainly as I went into the process of trying to um, hire a coach for the Edmonton Oilers when I was hired as a manager, you know, I, I you know, I'd come into Edmonton. Obviously, it's a Canadian marketplace, and it's it, it's it's it, living in Medicine Hat, playing junior hockey in the in the uh, in the mid seventies, and living in Medicine Hat from eighty five to ninety five as a scout for the Detroit Red Wings certainly understand the passion of the fan bases for the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers and the, and the Canadian passionate fan bases. And it's been a tough goal for the Oilers recently, I think making the playoffs one, one time in 11 or 12 years. So, uh, you know, I wanted to bring in a coach that, you know, I think about my time as, you know, when I became a general manager 20 years ago and some of the decisions I made, I might make some of those those early decisions a little bit differently today than I did back at the time, and that I think that experience is important. So I wanted to hire a coach that uh, wasn't learning on the fly, that 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 had had dealt with the adversity, understood the National Hockey League, the ups and downs, and and uh, certainly you've talked to a lot of people um, in going through the process to, to hire Dave and you look at his resume, he coached over 1200 games. He played in the national hockey league. He did, he'd done a tremendous job in Dallas and a tremendous job in, uh, in, in Arizona. So uh, um, ultimately made the decision to hire tip and, and certainly he's been a big part of, uh, of, um, you know, where we were after 71 games legit, you know, in a, in a, in a real legitimate um, competition to to qualify for the playoffs. I thought he he did a great job in in communicating um, with all our players, with our with our top players, with our leadership group. Um, you know, of having our players understand how he, as a coach, wanted us to play to be to be successful, and uh, you know how he everybody had they all had a, a piece of the you know if the, it was the team pie they all had a little piece of the of the pie of responsibility and everybody felt that uh, some people killed penalties some people were on the power play they they all had uh, they all he tried to keep everybody engaged um as, as having some a piece of the, res, the of the responsibility of the success of our hockey team so certainly tip had done a a, a great job and i've enjoyed the process of, of uh, building a relationship with with dave tippett because as you had said here earlier 
you know, certainly one of the things that I believe the importance of um, is, is relationships. And, you know, when you came to camp in, in Detroit, uh, one of the things we used to go to Traverse City, Michigan, we won the cup. I became manager in 1997. We'd won the cup. I talked to Scotty Bowman about taking camp out of Detroit and an opportunity for the players to get away for just five or six days and build relationships and certainly on the ice, but, uh, you know, go for dinners together. And, and, you know, when you're, when you're in your own city, when camp, when, 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 when the online session is over, everybody goes home to their families or goes home to where they, uh, to where they stay. And when you, when you take them away, they, 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 they bond and they build relationships. And I think the Traverse city, Michigan, the, the Detroit went to training camp there last year. So since 1997, Detroit has always opened training camp for, uh, you know, the first week has been the uh, uh, prospect tournament, the prospect stay, the veterans come in and the veterans are there for four or five days and they, uh, you bond, you build relationships, you do your work, you know, whether you go golfing or they go fishing a little bit and, um, and, and, and they go for dinners and they build, they build relationships. And I think relationships are, uh, are a big part of being successful in any industry. Well, yeah, and, and uh, Dave has, I mean, I know a lot of guys who played for him, and he definitely sounds like he's a, he takes care of people. He cares about the person behind the player, and, and he's a very good communicator. And I think that seems like the league is going that way for sure, you know, that you, you, need, you need to have that respect on a personal level, not just on a, on a hockey level. And, and, uh, and Mr. Tippett has done a great job of earning that respect throughout the league. So, yeah, I thought that was a really great, a, a great choice by you. Uh, as you were talking about the evolution of a player, I mean, I was thinking, I mean, you see it a time and time again. And, I mean, I think Alex Ovechkin is a, is a really good uh, example of that, you know, being, I mean, one of the best players of our generation and uh, had a hard time winning, you know what I mean? And had those upsets and had the adversity and just couldn't get past the Penguins. And, and then the year they won, I mean, it really seemed like he played differently. Like to me, I was watching a different player in the playoffs and the things that he was doing, um, you know, made his team better, not just Alex better. And, uh, and then he ended up, you know, winning it. And how long did it take him to kind of figure that out? So, I mean, I, I do think that as a, as a fan or, you know, the people that are watching, there's a, there is a personal evolution that is happening along with this hockey player to become what it takes to, to win. And, uh, and I'm just going to piggyback with, with one thought. And I mean, I don't, I, I am a massively on drive title fan and I'm also a massive Connor McDavid fan, but I was, I was watching one game this year and it was, I think you guys were up three, nothing. It was like last minute and a half of the game and, and Leon had the puck on the half wall and he tried to make this cute play back to the point and it got picked off and it was a, it was a breakaway that they end up scoring on. So you guys still won the game. I think it was three, one and Koskinen lost a shutout who was unbelievable that game. And I just saw, I watched Leon in that play and it, he didn't really back check that hard. It didn't really give Koskinen a pat in the pads and he went to the bench and it was kind of like, ho hum. And I was wondering, Hmm, I wonder if that's part of his evolution, you know, like to, to show maybe that he cares. And I also wondered like, how, how would Dave Tibbett now, like a guy that's making 7 million a year signed for this long, where's a letter, you know, how do you handle somebody like that in this day and age? If he did feel that that was something that he should talk to him about. Well, I would say first off, you know, you talked about Connor and Leon um, in, in, in the short time that I've been around them, they both have unbelievable passion and determination um, for individual success and team success. And, and, uh, and they, 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 want, they want team success. And I, again, I, I, for me, I have to reflect back on, on my time in Detroit because that's where I was for um, 64 years old. I was there for 36 years of my life and 22 years. A third of my life was a manager and over half my life I was uh, part of the organization as a, either as a minor league player. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the ups and the downs and certainly the, 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 the peaks and the valleys. But, but 
you know, we all, that's, that's a part of, uh, of, 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 of the evolution, the growth of a player, the growth, the growth of a team. And, and uh, the most important thing for me is determination. Once you get the players, once you draft, we draft the talent. It's the determination and the drive and the passion to, to get better individually and collectively. And I see that out of uh, Connor and Liam and lots of our other players. And that would, that's the encouraging part for me, and I think for Dave Tippett as well, is that we have a group of athletes that um, they want team success. They, 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 they want team success. But, but, but Jason, you don't just snap in. You don't, we don't, don't snap our fingers or go to a store and, 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 and we learn how to do everything right all the time. You know, even as a manager today, um, after being a, in, in a GM role for 23 and 24 years, I'm going to make decisions that aren't going to work out. You know, you're assigned players to contracts, and some are going to be good for the team, and some aren't going to be aren't, aren't going to be good for the team. But you hope that you make way more good decisions because you're going to make some decisions that that aren't just going to work out. We're people. We're human beings. We're not we're not perfect. And I and I think that's part of understanding that that uh, sometimes, um, you know, when you're playing a game, those veteran teams in a playoff series, sometimes they just outweigh the other team. You know, it's a, it's, it's a cat and mouse game and who's going to kind of stick to the program uh, longer. And, 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 and you wait for that other team that to make, make enough mistakes. And then you've got the skill set to capitalize on those, on those mistakes. And it's, it's a learning process. It's, 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 it's a learning process for all of us. And, I'm still learning today, like I said, as a general manager. And, and again, it's the evolution. You know, when I became manager, in, I think about 1997. 1997 doesn't seem that long ago. I probably got players on the team that were just born in 1997 or, or, or there. So it's it, 1997, when Detroit won its first Stanley Cup, that was a long, 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 long time ago. So I've had to evolve um, as a general manager with with the times with the with the with the with the players so i think so, that uh, but ken i think like what you're saying there as far as even you now talking is one of the most respected gms with long tenure all these stanley cups like sitting behind you right now and you're saying hey i'm still learning and you know that the the new science is saying that's that's essentially a growth mindset and that organizations can have a growth mindset and it starts I believe with someone like you, and then it goes down to someone like Dave Tibbet and someone like Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl that also all believe that they can get better and there's an evolution to themselves, right? And when everyone's believing in that, that's when some really special things can happen from, from my observation, even on a personal level, right? When you, when you continually think that you can improve, you actually want to improve and you ask those questions and you're willing to listen to the, to the ideas that might get you, get you better. And is, uh, is, would you consider Dave Tippett like to be a good a good teacher um, uh, of the game? I think Dave's a good teacher and he's a good communicator. You know, he knows the game um, and he knows he knows everybody. Jason, everybody, you, you played the game. Not everybody's got the same role in a hockey team. You know, the, the, there's there's offensive situations or defensive situations. Some people play twenty plus minutes up front some people play eight to ten minutes some people some people on defense play 27 minutes there's a there's there's a defenseman that might play 15 minutes but everybody's got everybody and then there's there's the depth there's injuries so you know i think that dave understands that that different people bring different um 
ingredients to the success of the of the hockey team and he's able to communicate he's a, he's a teacher um, he teaches our team um, you know the, the style of, of, of game that, that, that he wants us to play um, and but he's also communicates well with them he has lots of meetings he has lots of meetings with the team but but not too as but you can't have too many meetings because you only get them for a certain period of time you know, and then they're, they're, they're where all our attention span is, you know, some it's like this and some it's like this. If you go too long, you, uh, the people, you get tuned out. So, you know, it's, he, has, he has enough meetings, but not too many meetings. He's got, he's got individual meetings, one-on-one. He gives the, the players an opportunity to, uh, he's got this leadership group, you know, uh, with people with the, with, with, with the letters and one or two or three other veteran players that he meets with. Um, because they're in tune, obviously, with the locker room, and he wants the perspective from the from the players as to. But ultimately, as you gather all that information, whether you're a coach, whether you're a manager, whether you're a player, at some point in time, then then you've got to make decisions based upon that that information. But um, he's a teacher, he's a communicator, and he understands that he's got to make there's there's parameters whereby the players have got to play inside those parameters. Um, and some parameters are, are wider, and some parameters are, are, are not quite as wide. Again, de- depending on what 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 what's your what's your role and your responsibilities in the hockey club. Yeah, you mentioned uh, I had Brad Larson on earlier, and he was part of uh, some of those Colorado teams that you guys battled with. Um, I mean, some of the best playoff series in, of all time, uh, too. I mean, there's more Hall of Famers on the ice. I forget some of the Hall of Famers that were on the ice in, in those series. But one of the things that Brad said, and I'm sure you, obviously you realize he's assistant coach now with Columbus and been involved for, for a while, is he, he reflected back on those teams. And he just remembered being that fourth, you know, that role player guy that you're talking about. But he, he said he felt like his job was one of the most important on that team because of the way the, you know, the Sackicks and the Forsbergs made him feel and the coaching staff. He said, like, everyone really believed that they made a difference. And, uh, and he says, that's hard, that's hard to do, but it sounds like, you know, I mean, that is, that is what Dave is trying to do and what you guys are trying to do there, that every piece is important and to really buy into that fact that you are important. Totally. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's, that's building a team, Jason. It's, it's, uh, it's, if you can, if all of a sudden you have a, 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 a turnover or a, or, or a lapse in concentration, somebody on that bench, can cost you a hockey game, you know, and, and, uh, it's importance. And, and whether you're out there for eight to 10 minutes or you're playing 20, 20 to 25 minutes, you know, it's, it's the games are decided for the most part, the games are decided by a goal. Many games go to overtime and they're decided in, uh, in overtime when, when you get into, into, into a playoff series. So, you know, as, as Brad would say, you know, the, the, the fourth liners, the, the, they've got an important role and, and the, their job is to, you know, in their eight and ten minutes, you're you're trying to play the game even or win by one, and and if and 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 uh, it's it's you know whether it's the matchup, star players against star players, or one team wants to the coach decides that my checking line is going to play against them. But at the end of the day, you you know that the plus and the minus, but it's also scoring chances. But uh, everybody's got an important role. In, in, in team success and again to get back to again the team that, that's left standing at the end of June and in in, in, in is hoisting the Stanley Cup um, has done it better than anybody else. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, and I think what Brad was was saying there is like you know for a guy like Sackick to come over and sit beside him and say, hey man, I, like I love that hit, like that was such a big time of the game, and you know like how we talked about earlier, like that's not something that everybody does, right? But like for Sackick to do that made Brad feel like man, like I'm I I these guys need me, like they appreciate me, you know, and gets all fired up to go out there and do it again the next night. Whereas maybe if that conversation doesn't happen or if the coach doesn't say it, you I mean of course you're feeling you're in a professional environment, you're getting paid to do this, you have to be ready. But when you have that little extra, you know, piss and vinegar in your in your in your belly because you know if one of these older guys is really appreciating what you're doing, it just makes it gives you that itch, I guess is what I'm saying. And and I think you would talk I would be come back to leadership and culture and certainly uh, Colorado would have I mean the success that they had. We had played them five playoff series, I think from 1995 to 2002, and they won three series and, and we won, we won two, but, but you know, and I've known, I've known Joe since he was, I think 18 years of age, uh, Joe and my brother Dennis played together on Canada's uh, U18 team. And then, and then I, I lived in Medicine Hat uh, for the Red Wings and scouted when Joe Sackett played in Swift Current and watching him play uh, junior hockey um, was, was incredible. So, you know, and now, and now knowing Joe as an NHL general manager and how he treats people and, 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 uh, and his passion, certainly he, he, he was one of the people in Colorado. I wasn't in that locker room, but certainly he would be one of the people, him and Peter Forsberg, and there'd be, there'd be a few, Joe, Patrick Juan, there'd be three or four others that would have set the, 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 the tone from a culture standpoint and from a leadership standpoint. And to your point, that's, you know, when you've got your, um, your best players, um, understanding and appreciating that, that, that the role that uh, the contributions that other people on the team are making, whether they're smaller contributions or bigger contributions, but you need all those contributions in order to have team success really sets the tone for your team. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I would like to tie in the AHL. Cause I mean, I was a guy that was in the AHL. I was a guy that was, you know, trying to battle and find my way into the NHL. How does that work in, in, for you as a GM with the teams that you run, is that, is that a phone call you make um, down there if you need somebody and you say, Hey, I want so-and-so or, or do you say we need a guy? Who do you think, who do you think should come up? Like, how does that, is there a one way that it usually works? Well, it's a process. I would say to you, you know, like I I became general manager in Detroit in 1997. um, And early on I hired, you know, Jim Neal was my assistant general manager. Jim Neal, ran the farm team and then Jim went to Dallas to be the system, to be the general manager. And I hired Ryan Martin and Ryan Martin was the general manager of, of Grand Rapids. And now that I've, I've I'm in Edmonton, I've hired Keith Gretzky to be the general manager. So that's the person as the manager, I talk to those people, their job is to be, um, go to lots of games down there, work with the coach on an everyday basis. Um, Keith Gretzky and Jay Woodcroft, um, so Keith Gretzky would have probably seen, you know, half of, of, of Bakersfield's games this year, talked to the coach on an everyday basis, watched them practice, was on the bus with them sometimes. And then, and then there's also a relationship, obviously, Tip and Woodcroft, they, they would talk occasionally. And, and then I went down, um, I think I saw Bakersfield play 10 times, you know, it, it, um, a little bit different in Edmonton to Bakersfield versus Detroit to Grand Rapids. Lots of it too is geographical, you know, you, Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Marlies, you know, they're, in the, they're, they're five minutes apart. So, um, you know, depending on, on the geographics of your farm team, how, how involved 
how often does your general manager see your firm team play? But um, certainly, as you know, you go to training camp, you evaluate all the players, you start to send them down. The season starts, and now you get injuries, and then and then you, based upon injuries, you know, we need a defenseman. Well, certainly some defenseman, Coach Tippett would have, you know, have seen some of those players play in preseason games. He's been talking to Jay Woodcroft, and I'll talk to Keith Gretzky. Keith's been talking to Jay Woodcroft. And ultimately, Tippett and I will talk, and we'll, a decision will be made as to who we call up, why we call them up, and how they're playing down there. Sometimes, and Jason, I played in the minors for nine years, and you spent some time in the minor leagues. Sometimes we make decisions, call somebody up, and everybody down on, the, on, the mer- on their farm team in that locker room is shaking their head. How do they call that guy up and not call up somebody else? And it's, it's, you know, sometimes part of it is to bring up a young player to give him, um, he's a part of your future plan. And you're trying to send a message to him versus a veteran player that maybe, you know, he's, he's more of an American League player, probably on the short term, but, or, or where your team is in the standings and the importance of the game coming up. And, and the young player doesn't get the call up and he can't quite understand why he thinks he's a part of your future and a, and American League veteran players getting called up. Um, but we make those decisions. And so, like I said, sometimes people are scratching their heads at the American League level why somebody comes up. But, but there is a process. There is a process in every organization. There is a plan. There is sort of a chain of command to, uh, to making decisions. But ultimately, it would probably come down to the NHL general manager and the NHL head coach after, after communication with the American League coach, with your, with your general manager down there, um, to making a decision to uh, to call somebody. How long is the injury? Is somebody? Is this a game or two, or is this is this going to be? Oh boy, we this could be a month. All these all these things, all this information factors into um, the decisions that we that we make. That 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 uh, who's going to get uh, called up? And you're the one that presses the button, though. At the end of the day, after all that information is considered, you're well, the one that says, "Yeah." Basically, we Tip and I make a decision. We're going to call somebody, and then and then what I do is I call Keith Gretzky, and I say, "Keith, we're going to call up player X," and then and then Keith would call, you know, and then and then you got to get the information out. Once once Keith Keith would call the player to say, or and Keith would call Jay Woodcroft. Sometimes we went to to go through the the coach. Maybe it's the first time it's a call up, and and it's a young player. And between either Keith Gretzky and Jay Woodcroft, one of the two of them would tell the player. Then you got to then you know. Then you got to get the information out to, um, you know, you got a group chat. Uh, the, the trainers, the trainers need to know if we're going on a road trip. We got to bring that player's jersey or that player's equipment, and and we got to, you know, whoever's booking the flights needs to book the flights and book a hotel room to, and, and, a, and a car service because you know lots of people need to know the 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 the, um, the gymnastics of of of, of, yeah. of 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 making that getting that player from Bakersfield. Um, to either Edmonton or if we're on a road trip to to the city that we're in to make sure that it's 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 totally smooth. I, I assume, although you didn't necessarily say it, but it has to be part of the of the dynamics of that w- with the call up. I just remember like being the guy that was you know say the leading goal scorer on the team in the minors, right? And then you'd get a call up, but it was you know maybe Jody Hall was the guy who got hurt, uh, who was playing fourth line right wing. And so then I get called up and I play fourth line right wing and I'm kind of in a situation where I've never really been in before or asked to do things that I've never really done. Uh, it seems like now like guys are getting called up more um, 
for maybe the role that is that is open there at the time is that also a consideration like maybe you're getting a pp guy if somebody on the in the top six is out or you're you want a guy who's going to bang if if one of your fourth liners you know is hurt a hundred percent hundred percent you know and and um you know i think the hard the hard thing to you know again i played in the american league for nine years so I sat in that chair, you know, I was in that locker room and I saw teammates go up and teammates come back and, 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 uh, you know, some of them were good young players and they were playing power play and they'd go up and they'd, they'd, they'd play one or two games in the end, on the first line. And, and by the time they were there for a month, the last 10 days, they were just a, a black ace and healthy and finally they come down. They've lost that swagger and lost that confidence. And they got it. You got to build them back up again. So certainly, you're a hundred percent correct. We go through. You know, when somebody gets injured, what role does that player play on your team? We got to call up a player that 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 plays that that that's going to go into that role. So we're not less. That's where sometimes there's an injury and someone that's that a fourth line player gets gets injured and he's killing penalties and he's playing eight minutes a game and somebody at the American League level is leading the American leading that team in scoring or leading that team in goals and can't understand why they're not getting called up. Well they're gonna get called up if a if 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 a top nine forward gets injured and they can play with skilled players. So certainly that those are the things that we factor in when we make the decisions about about call ups. Has that changed in the last 20 years? Like what you just said there and you said you, there'd be head scratching in the locker room and, and my time in Toronto or, you know, and some of these other teams was definitely like that where, where I always thought like, why don't they just tell us, you know, like why, why isn't that communicated? Like even what you just said there, right? Like, Hey, you know, Woodcroft goes in and say, Hey, we're calling up this guy. He's been doing a great job in the PP that, or PK. That's what they need up there right now in Edmonton and nobody else worry. I mean, you'll get your chance or like something like that. Like that conversation was never had. And it was kind of like, you were just left in the dark and go do, do your, do your job. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I think the communication is much better today than it was 20 years ago. I know it's much better today. Um, I, and, and I think, I think, you know, certainly, you know, it's not the coach coming in, but I think that, that when you make a decision, the coach might use, your American League coach might use that as, you know, he'll go and talk to those three or four players that he thinks might might be disappointed that they weren't the, the, the player called up and to walk them through the, 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 the thought process. Um, and again, it's still disappointing, you know, yeah. even if you, you walk a player through a thought process, it's still, it's still disappointing. So, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard because, again, I was in the American League for nine years. Everybody wants to be in the National Hockey League, Jason. You played there. I mean, that's everybody wants to be for a whole variety of reasons. It's the best league in the world, and you can make more money. And you're playing in front of full houses, and your games are on TV, and you're playing against the best players in the in the world. And it's it's the best it's the best league in the world. And 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 when you're, you know, for me as a manager, you know, in training camp, as you got to go through the process, and I got to have one-on-one -on -one meetings to tell players that they're cut. You know, it's those. It's never easy because, again, I I I, I was there, and I I reflect back when I was twenty and twenty one years old and had those meetings, and you're going to the, the the American League, and how disappointed I was, and these players are way closer and way better than I was, and how disappointed they are. And as you start to work your way through training camp, and you get down to those last three or four 
calls and they by a whisker they've missed out on making the team for for whatever reason and you're, you're it's it, they're, they're tough meetings they're tough meetings those players are incredibly disappointed they're they're within a whisker you know they're down to the last day they think that they're going to sneak in and they're going to make them they make the team and and all of a sudden you've got to let those people go and and uh, those are tough meetings they're tough meetings for the players and and uh, you know we as a manager it's my responsibility to deliver bad news and you deliver bad news and then you try to communicate as to why why the decision's being made what they've got to do better and it warms it it's also a good feeling as a manager when you've told somebody, um, you know, I reflect on Caleb Jones this year who came to training camp and, you know, there was an opportunity for a young defenseman to make our team. And, you know, you had Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear and William Lagus and Bouchard and Sam Rukov and they all, they all, they're coming to camp. They're, they're thinking and hoping that they can force their way onto the Edmonton Oilers and you got to tell them all, you know, you, I, I enjoyed the meeting and telling Ethan Bear, you've made the team you know, get an apartment or you're going to be here for two weeks. And if you keep going, we'll get you, but, but you've made the team, you're starting out in the national hockey league. And then, and then, and then you got to tell those other players that are going to the American hockey league. Um, here's what we want you to do. And Caleb Jones went, went about the process of, um, of um, doing what we asked, you know, go down with a good attitude, play hard, you know, be a leader down there. And, 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 and I was, I, it, I, I, we get into December and his agent and I, Pat Brisson, negotiated a two-year extension for him, a one-way contract to, 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 to send him a message that for 2021 and 2022, the Edmonton Oilers management and coaching, we, we, we saw that, he, that Caleb was going to be a part of our, part of our future. And, um, so that's a credit to Caleb digging in as a, you know, getting that disappointment, hearing the news, and going down with a with a good attitude and and uh, and, and picking up and and uh, play, playing good and, and and playing his way back to the National Hockey League and his time now is done at the American Hockey League level. Uh, um, you know, his, he won't be going back to the American Hockey League. So that's it's, it, that that's all part of the process of a of, of 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 a young player. But I would say to you, the communication today is way way better than than it was. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, everything's better. Everything's better, and probably will be better 20 years from now than it is than it is today. But but certainly, um, um, the more you can communicate to your young players, um, I think the better it is. I think so too. I mean, just how you mentioned there. I mean, there's an honesty involved in it, but just recognizing for you to be able to recognize that, hey, we know you know, Jim, Joe, and Larry are going to be pretty upset with this, you know, and just from the person side of it to sit, to take the, the minute conversation and say, Hey man, you still have this to work on. I understand where you're at. It is disappointing. As you said, you've been the player in that scenario too, but at least, you know, you feel like you're on the, you're pulling the rope, right. With, with the guys with you, right. You feel like, okay, these guys do care about me. They recognize me. They want me to, to develop as opposed to just being, you know, no, no communication, like, like that part doesn't exist. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing. So I, I think those little things make a big difference when it comes to, you know, developing that top to bottom type idea that this is what it takes to be an Edmonton Oiler. And this is what we're all about. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Jason, it's, and it's a lot of people, it's not one person, it's not just the manager or just the coach. I think it's, you know, that's, we had talked earlier, certainly, um, I know that Keith Gretzky, when he spends time down in, in, in Bakersfield, he, he talks to those, there's a fine line. It's a, there's a fine line, you know, as a manager, um, 
I think it's important for the players to know in Edmonton that their boss is is the coach. That's that's their he he's you know he, he and 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 then Dave Tippett's boss is Ken Holland, and you know I, my boss is Bob Nicholson and and, and Daryl Cates. There's a there's a chain that that and 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 I'm there I'm there on an everyday basis traveling with the team. Um, then I got to leave the team. I got to go out and scout, and I got to try to 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 spend some time with our with our scouts, whether it's amateur, pro, or go to the farm team and 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 and, and evaluate players and talk to my people because you're making decisions, you know, for the trade deadline, for the summertime, to build your team for the following year, for the draft, to build your team for for three and four years, four years out. But for the most part, as a manager, you're with you're with your team, you're with your with your coach. Um, and there's, you know, so I will have some one-on-ones with the players, but I, it's got to be one message. I can't be going in there and telling, you know, a player, oh, you got to do this and do that. Meanwhile, the coach is asking him to do something different because it's, it's not going to work. All it's going to do. So it's got to be that Dave Tipp and I are on exactly the same wavelength and the message sending that we're giving to, to uh, our players is, is, or an individual player is, we're asking him to do something. We're both asking him to do the same thing. You know, you got to get better on face-offs. So you got to, I don't know, but, but I can't be, one. Dave's asking him to be better offensively and I'm asking him to be better defensively because the player's just going to get confused. And, and ultimately the coach is the person that stands behind the bench. He decides, he decides the 20-man roster. He decides who's playing with who. He decides who's playing in critical situations. He's deciding who's getting, uh, he's getting, who's getting the ice time. So it's important. I find it's important for me to make sure that I've got a real good relationship with the head coach. Um, but the players understand the head coach is, um, is, 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 is making all the decisions about trying to win the game that, that day. Yeah, that has to be super clear, right? Uh, for sure, because they have to know where where the boss is. I totally agree with that. Um, at, at no level do you want to have that breakdown, though, of like an idea that you know somebody is in inaccessible or inapproachable at all. And I thought that was like really interesting at, at Detroit too, because it just really seemed like it was a it was definitely a. I don't know, family is the word that comes to mind, right? It just seemed like every, from whether you were Nick Lidstrom or Ken Holland or, or Babs, like the, the, everyone just seemed like they had time, you know, like they, they had time. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, go get out of here. Right. We, we, we have time for each other in this place and this is what we're about. And I thought that was pretty contagious. Um, we'll, we'll cut you off. I've, I've loved, loved having you on Kenny. I think the last thing I'll ask is, um, for these young guys going up and say they've been drafted, like, is there, is there a secret sauce? Is there one way that you would say, Hey, this is, this is what you can focus on to try and, you know, impress maybe the wrong word, but to develop or grow and, and be identified and become an NHL or is there, is there one thing that you would say these guys should, should try and do? Well, I think, you know, Jason, it's, it's, it's the pursuit of getting better um, and understanding what you need to get better at. And that's where the coaching, the, the coaches and all, you know, the, you know, the people that you, that you, what do I need to get better at? And then as you turn, you turn pro, um, I mean, everybody wants to be a superstar. I mean, everybody wants to, but the reality is, you know, you think, you know, you think about all the, the players in the world that are playing hockey and their, their dream is to play in the National Hockey League and 700 players play in the NHL in the season, 700. Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, when I go to those, start out with our, our development camp in the summertime. 
and you know you're drafted and you're coming into pro hockey and every year every year 200 kids are drafted 200 kids are drafted and then there's there's free agents and some players play Nick Lidstrom played 20 years you know you know uh, Steve Eisman played 20 years and you, you've talked about Ovechkin and there'll be, you know, the stars, some, some players can play 15 to 20 years. So it starts to, to, the odds of making it are really, really difficult. And, and then there's, you know, there's, there's 31 teams and how many, what do you, seven, eight forwards play on a power play? You got to have a couple of defensemen. So there's seven, eight forwards per team play on a power play times 31 teams. There's only 200 to 225 players in the world that play on the power play in the National Hockey League. And some of them play on those same power plays for 15 years. So the reality is, the reality is, it's, 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 it's the pursuit of getting better. And then it's the pursuit of understanding where you might fit in the, certainly when you, you, you know, you leave Peewee and you go into Bantam and you go into Midget and then you go into Junior and you, as you work up your way, you know, the pyramid's starting to, to, to go, to go like this. And, and your role, your role is, might change. It might change and very probably will change. And 50 goal scorers in Junior might become checkers in the National Hockey League. But, but, but those guys are really valuable. If you can check and you can chip in some offense, they're like gold too. So I just think for young players, first off, when you're young, the pursuit of getting better and, and developing your skills. Uh, and, and, then, and then as you start to become, you know, 16, 17, 18, 16 to 22, 23, getting physically stronger, more power in your legs. And then as you start to become 20 to 25, understanding where you fit in the professional game and what's, where's, you know, can, can I, am I, you know, I, I think about Dan Cleary, who's now the assistant director of player development in um, in Detroit, and he was the 13th pick in the draft. And and um, as a 16-year-old, went to Canada's World Junior Evaluation Camp, and I think he went to four World Junior Evaluation Camps: 16, 17, 18, and 19. I think he was cut every time. But certainly, Dan and Dan Dan's jersey was hanging in the rafters in Belleville. He, you know, he, they retired his jersey in Belleville, and. And at the end of the day, Dan came to the Detroit Red Wings when he was 25 years old. Nobody in hockey would give him a job. And he came to Detroit on a tryout. And he made our team. We signed him to a one-year deal at $500,000. And I think the first year in Detroit as a 25-year-old, he scored three goals in 79 games. But grew in, by the time he was 27, 28, he was scoring 20 goals. He was playing left wing on the, on the second power play. He was playing right wing with skilled players. He was on the ice in the pen. He became a versatile player that played in a lot of different situations. I don't think that was his vision when he was 15 and 16 years of age, um, setting all kind of scoring records and leading all kind of uh, amateur leagues in, 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 in scoring. So he had to evolve. And I just, I guess I use him as an example because, you know, I hired, you know, I signed him in Detroit and, and, he, and, and then I, we would sign him to be Sean Horkov. And, you know, he was a guy that had high hopes to be a big time offensive player and then ended up to be, um, you know, a versatile, useful player that could play in a lot, but not a superstar scorer, but a, but a, but a very valuable player to the, to, to the Detroit Red Wings. So 
Um, and there's lots, there's lots of those examples, but, but again, I think it's the pursuit of getting better, the pursuit of knowledge. And then, and then when you're young, you want to be really good. It's a passion. It's a, it's a, you want to go with the rink and you want to figure out ways to get better. And, you know, I, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, he was, I talked to him recently and he loved Pavel Datsuk as a player. And he says he's got Pavel, every one of Pavel Datsuk's shifts you know, um, that, that, he, that, that he's ever played. And he, he watches different shifts and different highlights. And, and he loved Pavel Datsuk as a, as a player. And, and um, you know, there's lots of examples. But the desire to get better, better skill, you know, better compete harder. And then, and then as, you, as, you, as you go along the path, your path of life, realizing that you might have to make some adjustments to, uh, to be a different player than you, than, than you would hope, hope to be. Yeah, I mean, I I call that adaptability is kind of the word I use when I'm talking with like, the guys that I'm working like, with because, yes. I mean, one, it's, I mean, it's a value to the organization, but it's also a value to yourself, right? To be able yes. to, I mean, like you said, Danny Collier, he started in a role that maybe he didn't necessarily think he would have had in Detroit and then grew into a more maybe more of a role that he thought that he would have, right? Being a point guy yes. and a goal scorer. And, and I love what you say there about getting better because I can relate to that back at, as a pro, like once I kind of got to pro and even if I wasn't, even if I was in the minors, I kind of stopped thinking about how can I improve, right? I was thinking about production all the time and I was thinking about how many goals and I wasn't necessarily thinking about, okay, what can I do to get better today? And I think the guys that, that do keep that close to their heart and continue to, to develop at whatever age, right? Are the guys that stay a long way because you have to be versatile and you have to grow and figure out your body and, and, and where you fit into that team, right? You have to work on different skills. And Jason, that word I would use is, you know, trust. Certainly as a player, you know, the player wants to feel trust from the coach and trust that he's going to trust him in, 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 in key situations and vice versa. The the, 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 the the player needs to earn the trust of the of the of the coach that when you are in those certain situations that the coach believes again it's not a, it's never a hundred percent you're gonna we're gonna have failures along the way we're gonna deal with adversity but you use those failures and you use that adversity as a as a as a tool as, a, as an opportunity for growth not for not for failure so but uh, that adaptability you're talking you're talking about is sometimes it's to it's to go through a shift and you know certainly at the pro level you know nothing happens it's 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 to check and to and 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 you and you do enough of those you start the coach starts to trust that you can handle those situations and then you then you get bigger role and bigger responsibilities and you start to move up the ladder and very few people go all of a sudden just pop up in the scene and start to play 20 minutes and play on the power play those are superstars those are the guys that are going on their way to the hall of fame most players um you know whether you know you think about college as a freshman and then a sophomore and and their how their role changes from their freshman year to to their junior senior year if they stay three or four years and it's a it's a it's it's a smaller role if there's a freshman and it's, and hopefully it's a it's a major role as a but you but you but you but you've earned that role you know you've you've earned that role by getting better by improving by earning the coaches by earning the coach's trust. And same thing in junior hockey, when you play from a 16 year old to a 19 or a 20 year old. And it's, it's no different when you get to pro, it starts, it starts all over again. And, and, and all those, those accomplishments that you've had when you've been an amateur player, whether it's in college hockey or Europe or, or in Europe, they certainly are a part of your resume. But once you get to pro hockey, the, 
nobody cares if you were a seventh round pick or if you were the, 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 the fifth. Certainly if you were a high, high pick, the organizations were going to give you more time and more opportunities. But the bottom line is wins and losses. And can players um, handle the responsibilities that they're uh, – that they're from the opportunities that they're given. And um, it's, it's the trust, it's the trust factor. And you, you grab a little, you know, you shift after shift, after shift, after shift, after shift, you build up that trust level between the coach trusting you and, 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 and you trusting that the coach is going to, uh, to um, stick with you. And if you, if you have a little failure, it's, it's part of the process. Oh, I agree. And then those relationships with the coaches I've talked on here before is so important for players and not to underestimate them because, you know, they're the ones that butter your bread at the end of the day. You have to earn their trust to get on the ice. And they're the ones that are answering the phone calls from guys like you and Keith Gretzky and, you know, and like, what, what's he like? And um, definitely a big piece of the puzzle there. And Scott Nickel, a recent guest, um, talked about the 700 jobs and he said, it's, it's not necessarily the 700 best players in the, in the world or in the NHL. Right. I mean, it's, it's those pieces of the puzzle you're talking about, right. Yes. And yeah. Where do you fit in and, and, how, and how do you make it work? So, um, yeah, I know we covered a lot of great stuff here today. I really appreciate your time. Ken, we'll, 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 we'll let you go. I love seeing the, the Stanley cups there shining in the background and hopefully you'll, you'll bring one to Edmonton one day and forever immortalized uh, in, in the hockey world, if you haven't been already. So thank, thanks so much. I appreciate it, Ken. Thanks Jason. Once again, thank you so much for joining us here today for episode 17. Uh, not all every day. We have an opportunity to interview a GM of a national hockey league franchise. I hope that uh, we were able to cover some things that maybe you haven't heard of before, how they, how they approach the draft and who makes the decisions and how they make the decisions and who gets called up and who makes the team and uh, and all the things that we discussed today. Ken was really forthright and uh, and transparent with what he believes builds culture uh, and, and leadership was a big portion of that. And also the relationship aspect of the game was something that he kept touching on, that you have to build trust, that you have to build relationships. Um, this is something that earlier we learned this as players, and as parents involved in the game, the better. That the relationships matter, uh, building trust matters, uh, and being authentic matters. So uh, for all you players out there, um, take note. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in that interview. And once again, Mr. Holland, Ken, thank you so much for joining us uh, today here at Up My Hockey and, and really giving us some insight into what it's like to be a, a general manager in the National Hockey League. So that uh, will be it for today. And as usual, play hard, keep your head up. Over and out.